welcome to episode 223 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can, whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How we doing, Rob? Yeah. You know, uh, minor, you know, timing near, but we, <laughs> we made it. We made it. Harried is the word there's, you're looking for. There's going to be some adjustments while we're getting set up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Welcome back from Gen Con. Thank you. And hello to all of the new listeners who we potentially have from Gen Con. I hope everybody had a great time. Um, Rob has been uh, just absolutely a Twitter with with stories and just laughs and... You, uh, you and your guys put up a bunch of great pictures and stuff like that. Like, honestly, you just had a great time. So. It, it was a lot. Uh, I mean, Gen Con's always a lot. Like, uh, but th- this year there was just so many people. There were so many good connections that we made. It was different. Um, I think some of that had to do with like just going there after doing like it had been five years. Yeah, I started a podcast in between. Yeah, you did. Nothing to do with it in the same connectivity, but at the same time, like, <clears throat> coming back and taking that different perspective has been huge. Mm-hmm. So it's been such a difference. So, oh, but yeah, I met some wonderful people, um, mm-hmm. met some other podcasters. Uh, uh, hello to, of Max and Men, who are a, who is a Battletech uh, podcast. Um, hoping to do some uh, work with them uh, in this, uh, this year or maybe next, depending on the timing of what we can get done. Uh, but, uh yeah, they they turned me on to uh, a new BattleTech RPG set of rules. Um, uh, I believe it says Destiny, and uh, we grabbed the book. I didn't even get a chance to look at it yet, uh, but I'm interested based upon just the conversations we were having. Um, there were some lovely other uh, podcasters that are part of the uh, BattleTech community, uh, and it was just it was nice to just run into people and have great conversations. I, I met another couple of guys at the bar who were talking about their uh, anthropomorphic game and just asked some questions. They're now in our discord, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is fantastic. I love that. Um, but just really good connectivity all around uh, at Gen Con, just lots of a, a lot of good spirit um, and in uh, in a, a solid mixture of, of individuals. Like every session that we were at was unique uh, the people we ran across were were just as wonderful and inviting, um, and all of our games were had so much more narrative element. It was yeah. wonderful. It was really wonderful. That sounds great. So, yeah, yeah. Sean and I were uh, were just kind of idly chatting about possibly uh, uh, heading to Gen Con next year ourselves. So, you know, kind of a kind of a work trip for us, obviously. But, yes, uh, yes, definitely. <laughs> being that we do this podcast, but. Uh, um... I don't know if we'll be able to keep the breakneck pace that uh, you guys do over at Gen Con with, like, two games a day for four days in a row. Dude, there are people who stack way more than we do. Oh, I know. Uh, but uh, overall, I, I think we... Because originally we were going to be doing three a day. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm I glad we didn't. Yeah. I'm glad uh, Steve made the suggestion of, well, you know, let's, let's cut this back a little bit. Because um, it definitely made a huge difference for us uh, and our comfort and being able to oh, meet yeah. people and just find food and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I understand wanting to wanting to engage with a con, but at a certain point, mm-hmm. you kind of, like, stop and enjoy it for a little bit, you know? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And there's so much to do. It was funny, uh, Vic was talking to me, she was like, you know, if I went, like, is there, like, a con widows thing? And I'm like, no, because if there's, if you're going, there's something there. 
Like, I can't yeah. imagine there wouldn't be, like, like, do you like this? Yeah. 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 Well, any of those things multiplied by 80, that's what's there. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you want to go dance all day long? There's a dance party, at least three of them. Right, you know? right, right. You want to go shopping? Plenty of shopping to do. You'll never finish. Mm-hmm. You know, do you do you want to go to panels and hear about history in gaming or or connect with your cosplayers or any, you know, see a live play? All of that. You can see all of it. You're not mm-hmm. going to be able to do it all because there's just so much time. Yeah. But, like, there's always something to do. Always. Um, for anybody who's even gracing the edge of gaming and tabletop gaming. There's yeah. always something yeah. there. So. Yeah, it's it's funny how close people get in interests when you when you connect those two worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, because um, I I know a lot of people who love board gaming, but they maybe don't do role playing per se. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people who do role playing who don't necessarily like they don't mind board gaming, but it's not really their thing. But the adjacent circles of those two groups is amazing mm-hmm. of how much crosses over. So. Yeah, and it, it definitely shows at Gen Con. I would, I would dare say that the the main comment that I I kept hearing come back up again and again and again, even from some some large people were, you know, who are you know five hundred thousand to a million followers kind of thing, were saying that Gen Con is getting to Comic Con size. Oh wow! Yeah, I know. You know, I can, eight, I can you, imagine you can't balk at eighty thousand people a day. No, like, you can't. like that's that's ridiculous. I mean, mm-hmm. especially from where when we. When we did it five years ago, it was in the 50 range, Mm -hmm. and that was huge. Like, it was a sea of people then, so the extra people that got thrown into this definitely showed. But they they handled it well. Yeah. Nothing felt really disrupted much, Mm -hmm. so that was the good news. Yeah, I mean, I I can imagine cons are always a logistical nightmare. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was uh, uh, marginally involved in World Steam Expo when that existed here in Detroit, and... uh, even just that little con was just, you know, I could just see all the all the wheels, you know, having to turn at the right speeds there. So it's... yeah, I think the biggest thing for me was, despite it, it I, I as I addressed it to Vicky uh, and and a few other people uh, talking about Indianapolis not necessarily being, you know, the most welcoming space for in general for uh, communities of of difference. I'll say that to start with. Um, it was really wonderful to see just how comfortable people were. I saw uh, all kinds of mixed couples just walking around holding hands, mm-hmm. kissing, commenting on things in intimate ways. It felt natural. Yeah. Which, we, like it should. You had uh, uh, some interaction with the, was it Tabletop Gamers, G-A-Y-M-E-R-S? Yep. I did, I did. Uh, and you also brought home uh, some contact information for someone else who runs a LGBTQ uh, uh, community s- community, uh, um, community in, in, members, in the gauge yeah. gaming community. Yeah, yeah, and and I'm interested to connect with all of them um, because it was <clears throat> it was really great to see the support. It was really mm-hmm. great to see the community support. It being in games that were not connected to to that group at all, and having the DM you know look around, look to see if people had pronoun tags. And then be like, "Hey, do you guys uh, do do you mind giving me uh, your pronouns when you're when you say who you are?" Yeah. And it was like, "Oh, that's it's a subtle thing, but it was just dropped easily, you know." But a lot of people did wear pronoun tags, which helped mm-hmm. a ton. 
uh, especially when you're meeting new people because you, you kind of don't know and then you can just look down at their tag and yeah, boom, exactly. easily done. Hey, guess what? That's what they're there for. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that was one of the best parts about like conventions is you mm-hmm. get these little tags. Everybody has them. You know, they're different things, but they kind of help define you in the space a little bit in yeah. a very comfortable, inviting way. Yeah, exactly. Um, But one of the things I was telling uh, Vicky about especially was that when I was walking the show floor, it was very busy, uh-huh. um, the dealer floor, I should say, um, you run across all kinds of people, like people in just you know normal T-shirts, jeans kind of clothing, and then you'd have people who were clearly in cosplay, dressed as characters, wandering mm-hmm. around, and then you'd have people dressed up in various forms, um, and nobody, like in prior times, you might see someone try and asked for pictures or like what costume is that Mm -hmm. um even in that space and nobody was doing that they were just treating like you're just dressed like there was no stopping there's no weirdness it wasn't unless somebody specifically like made a a posing kind of moment because they were talking to someone about their costume and Mm -hmm. then somebody would step up and be like oh can i get a photo and i did that a few times with people that I, i caught on the floor uh, but most of the time I was doing it in the hall where people were actually posing for photos. Like, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. a thing. Um, there's a space for it, which really helps define that. But, like, there were uh, girls walking around in, like, the, the very pretty uh, Lolita outfits. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I often call them cupcake dresses because they're so frilly and fluffy Yeah, yeah, sure, stuff. sure. They're just walking. That's that's just their they're clothes for the day. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten to accept that because there was a time in my brain was like, oh, that's cosplay. No. That's just clothing. Like, yeah. if a guy's walking around in a vest, you know, a tweed vest and, like, has a handlebar mustache, it doesn't mean he's cosplaying steampunk. It means he's dressed for the day. Have yeah. a nice day. Yeah. Um, and it, it took a while for me to switch that in my brain a little bit, but there it was just natural. Mm-hmm. And it was wonderful to see. Yeah. Like, yeah. it really was wonderful to see everybody just being comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I liked that. And Vicky was like, yeah, that's how my cruise was on Virgin Cruise. Um, and I won't get into that, but she had a wonderful time. But I liked it. It 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 was a different feeling. It was a good feeling, and it was a wonderful thing to see. So, knocks <laughs> um, in the boxes says they did that at Pride too. Some ladies were wearing cute Victorian dresses or those cupcake dresses. Yes. Just like where else am I going to wear this? Uh, you know exactly. You, those dresses are not cheap. No. So you you wear them anywhere you can. Honestly. That's right. <laughs> and, and the other thing is is that it's it's nice to be seen mm-hmm. and to dress up. Um, funny enough, when uh, when we went and did our Battletech game and we had your minis, um, I often I was saying, like, well, we're coming to an event. Uh, I thought we should wear a dress. You know, mm-hmm. we had these very nice minis, and that yeah. was the way I kind of depicted it. Yeah, exactly. You know, you might as well. You know, I'm, I'm going to dress up a little bit, you, you know? See, you see, Vera, you dress up pretty, you get to go out places. That's right. That's right. <laughs> but uh, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. I, I know we're going to have more discussions as time goes on, and we've already opened quite a bit in chat. Yeah. Um, but, uh, and I don't want to shy away from our system spotlight, because it was funny that I didn't get to play Root mm-hmm. when I was there. I'm kind of glad I didn't, and I got more time to examine it before playing it. Um, but at the same time, I really kind of wish I would have seen a, a play of it there. Yeah, So yeah, I could, yeah. like, ask questions after or something. But I, I think... Going through the game, this is one of the first games that I had no really no idea about, and it definitely did not meet any of the expectations that were in my mind. Yeah, uh, Root by Magpie Games uh, is it's it's a game I've seen on store shelves for a mm-hmm. couple of years now mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, yeah, the artwork on the cover 
and all throughout the book is just beautiful and wonderful and cartoony and inviting and soft and pastel-y. And it just paints such a wonderful, inviting picture Mm -hmm. that you want to, like, pick this game up and engage with it. Very much Um, so. But, of course, you know, you can't judge a book by its cover. So, of course, you you better not. So we we dig into it and we have your system spotlight tonight. So let me grab a little bit of history because some people are like, well, Root, isn't that a board game? And the answer is it is. Yes. Uh, It was published in 2018. Um, It won uh, four Golden Geek Awards uh, um, and the Origin Best Board Game Award in 2019. Which is funny enough because that's when the Root RPG was launched mm-hmm. and funded uh, for a little six hundred thousand, a little over half a million, um, with great success. It was amazing how quickly that got funded. Um, there are differences between the board game and the TTRPG, but subtly not that many. Uh, basically, the tabletop uh, role playing game focuses on the vagabonds. Now the, specifically the, in in the board game, the vagabond is just like one piece yes. that kind of gets moved around between the two factions that are yep. actually doing the fighting. Correct. Um, and, and then the tabletop RPG focuses solely on the vagabonds as the player characters. Yep. And the two factions, or possibly more, Three, yeah. are kind of relegated to uh, the NPCs. Yeah. Now, the book kind of opens up with a lot more explanation of uh, of uh, how the game is played before it gets into mechanics directly. Um, but I think we're away. I'm going to, I'm going to roll this so that we talk more about that later uh, and get through what I kind of feel is important with you talking about the mechanics first and character creation, because effectively it is powered by the apocalypse. Like that is, that is still the foot forward for this. Oh yeah. It's powered by the apocalypse through and through. Absolutely. But there are quite a few, I'm not even going to say subtleties, there's quite a, there's quite a bit stacked on it uh, to, to make it feel different, and it, it does. Yeah, um, yeah. So I'm going to let you kind of take off with the mechanics a little bit here, because there's quite a bit to get through. Sure. Okay. Uh, so Powered by the Apocalypse, you know, it, it, like I said, it, at, at its core, it is very much, it is, it is Powered by the Apocalypse, it does not stray um, terribly far from that. In its essence, mm-hmm. okay, everything you're looking at, it's going to be moves, it's going to be 2d6, mm-hmm. um, your, you know, uh, uh, up to six is going to be a, um, is not going to be a success, it's going to be a miss. A hit, yeah, it's um, not going to be a hit. Yeah. Uh, seven, seven and up is going to be a hit, seven to nine being a weak hit, ten and up being a strong hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've, that, those are all your core things. Oh, and the use of playbooks instead and, yeah, of classes or something The use of like playbooks, your character creation is very much checking things off of a list. Mm-hmm. All of your character, available character options are on your playbook, yeah, essentially. Fill in the blank, check a, check an option. Mm-hmm. Um, in this game, your uh, so we should actually describe a little bit about what the what the kind of what the game is. Um, you are playing as a vagabond, which is a sort of a a skilled mercenary loner. Mm-hmm. Um, but the game takes place in what's called the uh the, the woodlands. The woodlands, and the woodlands is a a generic term for basically clearings and the woods thereof. The world has been around a while. Mm-hmm. Um, communities have formed in it. There is a, a history there that I'll get to, but effectively, right now, the 
the woodlands is in a little bit of disarray in the sense that the communities are kind of taking care of themselves while being pulled back and forth in some type of a war of of control. And to be clear, all of these people are anthropomorphic animals that live in the wilderness. Yeah. Okay, so badgers and birds and cats and bats and owls and mm-hmm. all, all that jazz things smaller than a wolf smaller than a wolf is essentially your guideline but if you can justify it you can play it mm-hmm. they, they basically tell you like don't play fish but like amphibians are fine you can play a frog mm-hmm. um everybody's roughly the same ish size like yeah. humanoid ranges of sizes yeah um and then when you start getting bigger than that, you start getting to, like, bears and deer start becoming, like, the monsters in the woods. Um, so that's kind of what we're working with, okay? Mm-hmm. So in, in this, like, pseudo-medieval society of broken down of these little, what they're called clearings, which are mm-hmm. basically a network of, of towns and villages throughout the wilderness, you are this vagabond. You are a mercenary, skilled, for hire sort of free person in amongst this big faction war that's going on between the various factions that are trying to kind of take control of the uh of the woodlands and whereas normally your vagabond would be an independent loner um going around you have a group for some reason yeah and and part of that is creating those bonds between you correct and that's kind of of note so that's what we're creating in character creation here is an anthropomorphic mercenary animal essentially um in this game we've got uh five different uh different attributes we've got charm cunning finesse luck and might uh all kind of do what they say on the tin um one thing i saw is that uh as opposed to most power by the apocalypse games which will go up to plus three as a maximum your attributes um max out at plus two Mm -hmm. on this um they want to i guess curb the power curve a little bit um so some unique kind of character aspects for you here. Uh, first off, um, uh, speci- your, whatever your species is, as far as being a, an anthropomorphic mm-hmm. animal, um, conveys to you whatever logical advantages it does. There are no game mechanics for these things. Mm-hmm. There's no selection of things that says, okay, well, if you pick off this list, these are the special abilities you get or anything. Um, they just know that birds fly, moles dig, etc. Mm-hmm. There's no special abilities. Um Then you start getting into the things that actually do have mechanics to them. Um, This notably has something called natures, which is a little bit like an alignment. Yeah. Um, In that it it serves as a bit of a role-playing guide for you. There are two listed for every playbook. You choose the one that you feel best fits. Um, But these are by no way prescriptive. They said that if you can come up with a good one and talk it over with your storyteller, that's absolutely a valid option. Yeah, it made me laugh when I saw natures and then demeanor, and I was like, oh my gosh, like, are we back to this again? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought when I when I first saw it. Um, so nature describes kind of your character's idle tendencies, uh, what they're prone to be like, what they're, what they're prone to act like. Um, and doing something that fits your nature clears your exhaustion track, which is one of your... Um, one of your harm tracks. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, you, you get a second wind when you when you do something that, that befits your nature. Uh, there are drives, and drives are kind of your character goals. They're the th- they're the things your character's active tendencies, what they try to accomplish, mm-hmm. the things that really you know rev their engine, get them going. Um, 
There are four options on each playbook. You may choose two of them. Mm -hmm. And then you actually advance when you fulfill that drive during the course of a story. So if you accomplish a goal, essentially. Um, This game also, and I know you really like this mechanic, Mm -hmm. has connections to it. I I love that there's two connections to other PCs. This Mm -hmm. is a common thread that you'll find in most PBTA. Um, And I I, I feel that it's helpful for getting people instantly bonded at a table. Yeah. um, Yeah. Because there are moves that are unique to those bonds right which like is if you're great. protective of another player you have a you know, like an ability to basically step in and take damage mm-hmm. for them and stuff like that yep, yep. um so yeah they not only not only do they describe interpersonal connections but they have a mechanic attached yep. um there are reputations mm-hmm. it's a pretty big part of the game actually is reputations with various factions yeah um probably one of the more confusing mechanics in the game i would say without a doubt um it's got kind of like a whole page and a half basically that describes how to use the the reputation track on there and and realistically it comes down to how what your notoriety and and or prestige is with them in in both positive and negative ways Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously you you may have a, a certain type of attitude with one group but not with another and how that it is much easier to lose favor than it is to gain favor. <laughs> yes. You only require three points to gain a point of notoriety, whereas you require five points to gain a point of prestige. Right. So yeah, bad news travels faster in this game. Yeah, and it and the the, the literally the chart is is not the best for that, but it, it yeah. does get the job done. Um okay, you also have three different harm tracks. Yeah. Um, now, these are only four boxes apiece, mm-hmm. um, but those are injury, which is basically your physical harm. So think of them like you're having four hit points. Um, <clears throat> filling this up kills you. Mm-hmm. Easy. Exhaustion, which is your uh, stress or strain sort of thing. Um, filling this up makes you pass out for the rest of the scene mm-hmm. if you ever are asked to expend exhaustion and cannot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is depletion, which is kind of like your supplies, your provisions, uh, it's the stuff you have in your pocket to generally, you know, solve problems with. Um, if you fill up your depletion track, basically means you can no longer do anything that requires you to f- to fill in depletion. Yeah, you you You're run just out. out. Yeah, you you've run out of stuff. So maybe you reach in your bag for a rope and it just isn't there. Yeah, yeah. So. Um, which is kind of I I really kind of like the. Um, I've become a big fan recently of uh, abstract resources. You're not having to track every last little, you know, caltrop in your path yeah. and stuff like that. Not having to track gold and silver and copper down to the last penny. Right. You know, uh, in my Savage Worlds game, I use uh, the wealth die. Mm-hmm. And we just we just make rolls. Like, can you afford that? Roll it. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Cool. You do. Yeah. Like, I'm, yeah. or not... it costs you wealth because it was t- it was tapping you in some way. Right. Yeah. Right. Um. And this the the depletion track kind of does that for all of your little stuff. Yeah. Um. Another thing on your character sheet, you'll you'll notice this is a thing. There's a lot of things on the character sheet, um, is roguish feats. Mm. Okay, now roguish feats are essentially stuff that you would normally associate with a rogue. If you've played Dungeons and Dragons for any amount of time, you know that rogues do stuff like pickpockets, sleight of hand, acrobatics, pick locks, etc., etc. These are essentially what the roguish feats are. Um... You, most playbooks will have two of these automatically selected for you. Some will ask you to choose. 
and these go hand in hand with a specific type of move that is generic to everybody called the use roguish feet and it does what it says on the tin if you're going to use one of your roguish feats that's the move you roll and you you take the outcome from there um if you you can still do a roguish feat if you do not have the appropriate one checked on your mm-hmm. on your sheet however you're going to roll it with luck instead and this is kind of where your luck stat comes in is it's your junk drawer when you can't make the appropriate roll right and and it comes with a consequence because basically you're you're not skilled so it means you did it right but something bad may happen with basically it. everything is a weak hit you'll always get a, a consequence even if you roll box cars mm-hmm. um and then there are weapon skills more stuff on the sheet yeah you're gonna see this as a running theme um yes. there are you choose one from four of these at creation now there are more than four there are like eight or nine of them i can't remember the exact number but four of them on each playbook will be highlighted and yep. you at your character creation you may choose from one of those four highlighted ones further advances can go to any of them but during character creation it must be one of those four right uh, and these are things like cleave and improvised weapon and stuff like that. Um, they all come with unique rules for them to yes. do in combat. And then you've got equipment. Which is kind of weird to me in the sense that, but it, I don't necessarily mind it that it has, uh, that they have tags that they're using to simplify it, but also wear, which means it kind of has its own damage track. Yeah, each each major piece of equipment. Now... The good news is that depletion takes care of all of your little stuff. So the right. only things you need to track as far as like equipment is like leather armor, sword, crossbow. Right. Like that's it. Yeah. You know, everything else is just going to be handled by depletion. Um, so it's not – it doesn't add a lot of bookkeeping, but it does add more bookkeeping. Which, again, every time we're doing this, the reason why you're hearing our exhaustion and our confusion is – this is powered by the apocalypse. A rules light fiction forward game s- system. And we're not done yet. <laughs> yeah. Um all right. So we've got yeah, and, and then there are tags on these on this yeah. piece of equipment. Each one of these tags is kind of a little special rule that it has. A if you play man. like well, if you play like Warhammer uh, or Warhammer 40K, like I, I've been getting back into 10th edition 40, right. 40K, you'll have things like, you know, okay, my gauze flares, they have lethal hits. Mm-hmm. Cool. What is lethal hit? Well, that's a tag. Right. Lethal hits means the same thing no matter what you attach it to. If you roll a 6 to, to hit, it automatically causes a wound. Boom. You know that rule. These This equipment does the exact same thing. There is right. a universal list of, uh, like, 20 or... Th- God, there's, a, there's actually a, a good, lot. There's a good, a good amount of them. There's a lot. 20 to... I would say 20, 20, 20 plus or minus. Yeah. Um, Different tags and stuff like that. Now, obviously, not every piece of equipment has them all, but... Right. Um, and then you're, you know, you're going to have to keep track of all that stuff. Right. Um, and then the last bit of character creation, once you've gone through all of that, mm-hmm. which, again, sounds like a lot, but... This is Power by the Apocalypse, so most of this is just check two boxes. Yeah, you're still dealing with just the front and the back of a sheet. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. We're really not, like, for, for Power by the Apocalypse, this sounds really crunchy, but it's still a lot better than a lot of other games that yeah. get into, it's, like, actual I will numbers. say, it is still the front and back and of a sheet. And back of a yeah. sheet, yes. Uh, and then the last thing you do, after you've created bonds and you created your own vagabond and such like mm-hmm. that, um, you roll a d6... And you find out what your daring exploit was. 
And the daring exploit was essentially your very first adventure that your Vagabond group went on before play started. It yeah. is the thing that kind of gets you established into the world, so you're not all just like we met in a tavern yesterday sort of sort of people. Right. Um, this will also kind of alter the map in a little way. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have ended up like blazing a new trail, so mm -hmm. that might like put a new path on the thing. Yeah. You might have helped a town change hands from one faction to the other, and that could alter the landscape. This will also land you some initial reputation with one faction or another. Mm -hmm. You might have actually made inroads with one and become notorious with the other. Mm -hmm. You know. It's hard to tell. But it gives, you, it gives you a nice little basis for moving on there. Yep. So that's, that's character creation. As far as gameplay goes, mm -hmm. there are so many moves. There are so many moves. There are so many moves. Um, you have your basic moves. You get your pool of basic moves, which includes ro roguish feats, which each one of those is is its own individual rule. I love that that's basic, but it also includes a sub-basic thing. Well, it's a basic because it applies to everybody. Everybody will have roguish right. feats. Everybody will have different roguish feats, and there are like seven or eight of them, and they all individually have their own individual rules for them. Right, right. Okay? You've got your weapon moves. Pretty basic. There's only three of them, essentially. Um, but again, each weapon feat is a different move, and there are, like, another nine of those. So those are additional moves that you need to know in addition to all this other stuff. There are reputation moves uh, for interacting with different factions and stuff, such like that. Um, now, there are some overlap with some basic moves as far as, like, doing things like trying to convince an NPC or ask for a favor and such like that. And a lot of the reputation moves have um, rep requirements to them. Right. You must be... Uh, respected enough by a faction or Total. feared enough by a faction. Yeah, it feels like it's a, a specificity when you get to a certain point that now you can do this. For instance, mm -hmm. like maybe before I would be kind of asking politely for resources or something like that, but at a certain point I can just walk in the door and be like, hey, Captain, I need two of your guards right now. And, and they're going to be like, oh, crap, it's you. Yeah, yeah sure. Exactly. Where do you want them? Exactly. Or likewise, you walk in and you go, all right, guys. And they're like, oh, crap, it's you. <laughs> well, it's – it's. Hey, I always go – I love Reputation for movies because it comes out in mm -hmm. spades in movies. Uh, again, uh, you know, uh, um, Three Musketeers, the Disney one, literally they just wiped out a bunch of guys and they're sitting around a bar. Mm -hmm. And in walks the bad guy and he just looks around at his broken – guards that he sent to go get these guys and clearly they have a reputation so they're all just talking he's not gonna fight them right he knows better right, than that yeah they know better than to fight him mm -hmm. because of his status and so it's a it's a balance point there where you know what you're dealing with yeah you know versus porthos the pirate and the guys literally just jump off the edge of the boat you know <laughs> they're terrified because they should be yes, you know of course we're going to fight just give us a second exactly <laughs> Um, so there's reputation moves, and then there's travel moves, um, which are basically the moves that you make when you are, well, traveling uh, through the forest, down paths, or uh, cross-country. Um, there are also two more moves called the, the uh, endgame moves or something like that. Uh, yes. Uh, which are basically just the, like, level up. 
Yeah, they're general moves for everybody, but effectively they're, they're not just really moves. No, they're as just much like these are, are just... the two things, and these are the choices you get off of those two things to do. Yeah, yeah. Um. So again, you're kind of hearing maybe a little bit of exhaustion in our voices, and that is mostly because we're we're looking at part by the apocalypse here, and as we were kind of going through this, we're like, wow, this is a lot. It's this a is lot. a lot, a lot. This you is know, way more than expected. Um. There was a uh, an old friend of mine um, from my LARPing days who who said something very poignant to me and stuck with me a lot about game design. Um, and that being like, you know, you look at games such as Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and you think that, you know, casting spells is essentially one rule, right? Well, no, there is a set of rules that govern how you mark off spell slots and which spells you get to cast and whatnot. But every spell in that book is a rule. Mm-hmm. They are individual rules. Yeah. And so the longer and more convoluted your spell list gets, the harder your game is to play. And that was ringing through my head this entire game, was you've got Powered by the Apocalypse, which is a game system that eschews structure. It is a fiction-first narrative heavy game style where you don't get bogged down in things like oh this is this phase or this is that phase or this is this type of scene so only this subset of rules apply or anything of that such you just kind of have we're telling a story and you know if something happens then you use that move right but that means basically that you need to know every single one of the moves at all times, especially as the storyteller, so that you can identify when a move is happening. As a player, you might only need to know the moves that are right there on your character sheet, but as a storyteller, you kind of need to know everyone's moves at all times. And there's nothing saying, well, this is a combat scene, so I only need to worry about these moves. If the fiction calls for it in a part by the Apocalypse game, that's the move that happens. And so, when we go through a system like Root... And we see nine different roguish feats and nine different weapon skills and 20-something different tags in addition to a bunch of basic moves and a bunch of reputation moves and a bunch, you know, of travel moves, etc., etc. You start... It starts starts to paint a little bit of a troubling picture of the difficulty of running this game. Yeah. And that's not even getting into the stuff that the storyteller is going to need to manage the factions that are currently at play in the setting. Mm -hmm. So, I I mean, I may be tipping my hand a little bit here on the whole, like, what do we think this game system does well and what do we don't think it does well? But, um, uh, you know, that's that's kind of where I'm at with with the gameplay section right there. I felt very overwhelmed by it. Like, it was charming, but... Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm going to step away from the gameplay section for a second because right. I need to, I need to counter that one statement. Yes, it's charming, but that's only because there's art, and this was my problem. Reading through the opening, I got the feel for you know these are anthropomorphic animal vagabonds, your miscreants and rogues and outcasts and renegade heroes venturing across the woodlands, right? And you're highly skilled and capable, but you're not really at home anywhere in the woodlands, mm-hmm. right? 
There's just these clearings and woodlands, and you're just going around uh, taking dangerous jobs from whomever, right, to make money and pay for your equipment and stuff, right? Okay, that doesn't sound like a cute game. Yes, the art's all there, but if I took the word anthropomorphic out and woods and uh, woods and 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 clearings, mm-hmm. this could just be Shadowrun. Yeah, you're a group who shouldn't be together by all accounts and who you are, but you're all in it for the gear and money and glory the reputation that you have, mm-hmm. you're getting jobs together. There are factions fighting against, like I, like literally the, the setting and the mechanics are, aren't as blended. And that's where I started to feel like things started to disperse for me. Yeah. So yeah. one of the things that, um, was said, and I, I think this is a good statement mm-hmm. uh, about what Root is. Is it is a story of adventure and drama and political conflict? Okay, okay. I agree with okay. that. You you like that? That yep. sounds exciting. A vagabond can cut a rope and fly up as a sh- as a chandelier falls, and it's uh, it, and it is in a place of an embroiled war where deposing the local sheriff can have real dangerous consequences. Sure. Again, like I feel detached. Mm-hmm from this a little bit like there's something that's missing yeah a glue that isn't there so looking at the 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 gm section political conflicts are kind of at the heart of it it wants you to know this setting it wants you to right off the bat that the woods is not exactly unified Mm -hmm. it's connected and the clearings themselves are safe and livable but the forest is very dangerous, very dangerous. Yes. Nobody goes into the forest. They need people to do the clearings. There was this Eerie uh, dynasty, uh, which is the uh, avians, basically. Yeah, a collection said, of birds that had kind yeah, of ruled. Who ruled because they were above everyone. Mm-hmm. And I, It's a great concept. It's a, a, a yeah. simple thing, but I like it. I like it. And they they kept their their rule, basically, by keeping the same name. So mm-hmm. that you never knew that they were never not in power. One person would pass and it would be the same name for the next person. So, hey, everyone stays. And it was a collection of, when they say dynasties, it's not one after another. There are a myriad of them out there mm-hmm. that were controlling areas. So you've got all these different dynasties that are holding areas and kind of fighting between them. But for the most part, just collecting taxes and being big lords. Mm-hmm. Something happens during that where things get a little too power hungry and causes a little bit of a vacuum. About this same time, you have this this civil war is happening. You have this moment where, like, the commoners start seeing themselves having to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And so they build kind of a little rebellion almost a a faction of their own that they can kind of handle themselves and don't need the eerie as much the exact same time a the overwatching cats the uh le monde de cat uh has this marquee who's just like hey boss you know emperor if you will i'm gonna go over to this woodland area and do something just give me a little bit of backing 
Imagine that, a cat saying, I'm going to go where I'm not welcome and cause problems on purpose. But the thing is, is <laughs> he shows, or it shows up, they start taking care of areas, and, it's, and, and does the, like, hey, if you join me, I'm bringing industry, I'm bringing trade, I'll show you some things you've never done before, and I'll protect you from the big bad woods with my people. Just don't ever deny me. I am your your lord. And... Everything kind of worked out, except for the rebellion people who were like, we don't want this again. Mm-hmm. So in the end, we have now this happening, and the birds see this and go, we need to stop fighting right now. That's a bigger problem. Yep. And they kind of band together. So this is where we kind of sit, is we're sitting within this phase, possibly within this phase of war. Now, you can set this up however you want, or use one of the adventures, but effectively something is happening within this war, within the space that you're involved in. Mm -hmm. Um, Your mercenaries are deciding how and when they want to work with each side, whether it's the, the, the Irie, Irie, the, um, the cats or Marquis de Cat. Yeah. Or the, uh, the rebellion, Mm -hmm. um, the resistance, Um, the, the woodland Alliance. So, it's it's this odd trifecta that you're you're balancing against mm-hmm. of of what you need to do while this is all going on, but it it again doesn't feel cute. Like there's a cute overlay on this, yeah. But it still doesn't feel cute at all. Um, it feels like very much modern day. Um, like this could be Ghost Recon. This could <laughs> yeah. be Shadowrun. This could be any number of. Very kind of dark fantasies. Yeah, I, I said to you earlier, it actually feels a lot like how uh, uh, the the game mode we play in Arma Three, yeah. uh, Milsim, is set up, which is called Anastasi. It feels one hundred percent like that. The the map starts off with two factions that rule everything. Yeah, you've and... got like a NATO faction, and then another faction, a CSAT faction, and then you've got a rebellion locally that's trying to do stuff. Yeah, and you got you got the local the locals who don't want either faction there, and are trying to kick them out of their territory. So. Um, very much like that. So, uh, yeah, I can, I can imagine that, 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 you know, it's got these warm, inviting, almost Disney-esque, you know, sort of, uh, uh, artwork, and then the tone of the game just does not fit it. Right. You've got, you know, and, and it, it, even the difference between the denizens and monsters, which are barely addressed, Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't really go into them at all. It just basically says that, like, at a certain point, if you become too big, uh, or if if the creature is too big, it's no longer an anthropomorphic thing, it's a monster. But size is up to you. Yeah. Are all the creatures the same size? Is a mouse the same size as a fox? And they, they stand head to head? Depends on the fox, depends on the mouse. Right. Are, are we dealing with Zootopia, right? Mm-hmm. Where everything is okay except for certain people? Like, you know, certain people, certain anthropomorphs? Mm-hmm. Like, certain anthropomorphs are just wild but we're tame. Like, is the Marquis a big fat cat? And that's why he has the power. Or is he a smart cat? Is like, he orange? Is he dumb? But you're setting all this up. And, like, just the descriptions of bears are similar to trolls or ogres or, or other fantasy. Deer or something like spirits. Moose are akin to huge dragons. And so on. It doesn't define them because, realistically... It's not as important as the fight between the factions. Again, setting that scape to it comes down to the politics. So 
the vagabonds themselves are anti-heroes by default. Mm-hmm. They're self-centered. They're greedy. Um, they have a harsh life to live, and that's what makes them harsh. The focus of this game is on them. The game isn't about the soldiers in an organization of the Marquis or the up-and-coming nobles in the Irie Dynasty. The mechanics and playbooks of the game don't support those stories. Mm-hmm. They support vagabonds running missions. It's it's strange because you've got a setting that is so devoted to telling the story of these two, possibly three, possibly more factions mm-hmm. struggling for power with each other, and yet your player characters are specifically designed not to be a member of any of those groups. Correct. Reputation is ultimately important, but not so much that they ask you to join them. Because yeah. the moment you do, the book specifically says you're no you longer, are no longer a vagabond, vagabond and yep. therefore you must make a new character. Yep. Or the moment that you stop choosing to be a vagabond and settle down, you are no longer playing the game and you need a new character. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a shadow run. Like every time I look at it, I see <laughs> shadow run. The moment it, you get hired by a corporation, yeah. Yeah. Um But yeah, the it is the the mechanics and everything about the way the factions play together, I, I see Blades in the Dark. I can't deny it. It is, if you just removed the skin that's on the layer of both of them, mm-hmm. you know, Forge in the Dark and, and this. Oh, we're talking about cute animals. Please don't say remove the skin. Shave the fur. <laughs> but anyways, it adds reputation, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a, a big thing here. But they feel so separated. Yeah. It feels so separated. Yeah. There's no mechanics that say I'm an anthropomorph. In fact, it denies that those are mechanics. If I pick that I am a bird, I get to say that I have claws and wings and I can fly. But that has no mechanical difference in the game. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have a reputation difference with me and the 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 factions that I'm dealing with. It doesn't make me part of the airy. I can say that I used to be an airy guard. That could be part of my background, mm-hmm. and that might give me some dot in reputation, but it doesn't give me any other status effects, right? And I think that's where I saw it, and I, I remembered back to uh, David Somerville talking with us about uh, Plingia. Yeah. This game lacks definitive metal. Yeah. What, make, what makes this game metal? And I, I can't find it. I can't find it. I literally yeah. cannot find it, and I'm... I'm sorry I can't find it. I want to find it. I really it. did. I really want to. You look at the moves, they're confusing even to look at the roles. Like, they talk about persuasion, mm-hmm. right? Um, being a role to, like, get a guard to move out of a doorway for you, right? Sure. But at the same time, you have a reputation move that you can use to persuade someone. So am I going to use that on the guard at the door? Or am I going to use sway an NPC instead? Yeah, there's there's persuade an NPC, there's trick an NPC, there's ask a favor, and there's sway an NPC. Yeah. All, at least on the label, sound functionally identical to me. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of where I was coming from this, too. Uh, I, I'm, you know, it's 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 no no mystery to any anybody who's a fan of the show here that I'm a huge uh, uh, Savage Worlds fan. Mm-hmm. And say what you want about Savage Worlds, I mean, it definitely is, like, towards the top of my tolerance for crunch, but I'm realizing there's a necessary level of, like, 
crunch, right? But at least what Savage Worlds does is says, this is a discrete skill that does a discrete thing that covers this range of things. And when you do, you roll a trait die and your wild die, and if you hit a four, you're good. And yeah. Yeah. this game has four different skills that are all essentially persuasion. Yeah. That's it. It's just a persuasion check in Savage Worlds. Mm-hmm. Okay? Are you are you but are you lying to them or are you telling the truth? Does it matter? You're trying to convince them of the thing that you're telling them and get them to act accordingly. Yeah. That's all a persuasion skill is. It doesn't matter if I'm gaslighting them or if I'm giving them an impassioned speech, I want them to think the way I'm trying to make them think and act on that on that impulse. That's yeah. it. We don't need four different moves for this. It's true. It's true. And those moves do not need to have a page long description on how to use them. And I and I and I feel like they they don't do a good job of being different even in the way that they're stated. Like, yes, moves have to be a phrase. But nowhere in here does it talk about dominate. Mm-hmm. Like that word should be in instead of one of the other ones because it would be a different move. If you walk into a space and you have a high reputation, there is no question that you can't dominate that scene mm-hmm. just as easily as you can't threaten. Threaten is is a much stronger term to being merciless, sure, right? Especially if I am known for being merciless. So, in that sense, like you have those those moves, and then in within those reputation moves, I didn't even see that. Remember talking about this. Um, you also might have to do a second move because you might be like, I have to make a show of force That's to go right. along with it. Like, I'm already plus three in my rep. Why do I have to do more? I should have to do that at the lesser one, right. not the greater one. Right. Like, if if I don't make a show of force, like if I don't come into a room to, to stand over someone and look at and glare upon them and persuade them through a, some kind of a taunt and force them down, right? That's the show of force. Put a knife to their neck, make them kneel. You know, you, you, you're mine. You're coming with me kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Versus at level three, I've done that enough times. And when I walk in that room, that guy drops his head immediately and just points to the door. Yep. Like that's where he is. That's the difference. That's that's control. That's respect. It's all the things you need to know. Because like John Wick is another perfect example of that exact same scene. Mm-hmm. He already, the guy at the front door didn't want anything to do with him. He didn't have to make a show of force. He knew it was John Wick. Oh, he's like, oh, John Wick is here. He's like, you should take some time off. You know what? I'm going to go home and see the wife and kids. That sounds Thank great. Thank you, Mr. Wick. Have just, a great night. He just walks away. Yeah. Not, I then have to make a show of force. So I, I really didn't like that aspect of it. And I felt that it was, it was that that was lacking. On the other hand, I will come back and say this, that I f- did feel that the descriptions on the GM moves was exceptionally helpful for anyone. The section really then went into detail about soft moves and hard moves. Now, that being said, those descriptions can be found in a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games, so mm-hmm. there was a lot of lift and settle into yeah. this. Yeah, and yeah. you can find that, but also you can find places, and this was described by other reviewers, where lift and settle was 170 characters, and they turned it into 340. Yeah, yeah. For whatever reason, right? And there's a lot of charts 
a lot of charts about handling the clearings and the paths and what's in an area and what's what's going on there and their connections and affiliations. And in that part, yes, it helps you craft the world because there's literally a faction system that you can play right alongside. Like after an adventure, you roll in the faction system to see what changed in the world. Right, right. To put in the ripple effects and then alter things, which keeps the world living. That's great and all. That's Blades in the Dark. That's board gamey things. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but at the same time, helpful to a storyteller, sure, especially I mean, when you've got that much mechanization going on. I, I don't think we can. I don't think we can even-handedly disparage world building and you know tools such as that in I'm, Root and praise them and, and then in, praise them in in uh, uh, stars without uh, number. Stars without number, exactly. Yeah, X yeah. without number. X X without number. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I agree. And um, it, all I'm saying to that effect is that. They're good. They're there. They're a good tool to be there. It adds a lot of pages. And and the world moving and shifting around you is good. Yes. You know? Yes. It's it's nice that there is a mechanic for, you know, factions taking the holdings of another faction mm-hmm. or being a political upheaval or something like that, you I, know? I feel like that could be very beneficial for Blades in the Dark, in all honesty. Sure. Like, that's something that could get pulled back or, or laid on top. Mm-hmm. Like... In all honesty, you could probably take Root, Faction System, and Rep System, slap it onto Blades in the Dark, and play in a different setting. Oh, I don't know about the Faction System. Well, or, well the Reputation System. Reputation say, System, yeah. but the, the, in essence, you could basically have these three systems doing things and yeah, you affecting yeah, them. Yeah, the, the city shifting around you as other crews do other things and the government cracks down on things mm-hmm. and there's a ghost outbreak in another part of the city yep. and stuff like that. Yeah. All like, that stuff fits very well. Yeah. Again, yeah. all without it being anthropomorphic. Mm-hmm. Like we have, there's been no need for that. Mm-hmm. Right? And in all honesty, I'm going to say this, there is nothing to say that you couldn't do this with just humans in a jungle environment where there are dinosaurs and three different faction groups. This could be Ark. Like, this could be Plangea. I mean, realistically, it just, it just, there's no connectivity, and that's the part that gets me. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you can make a system that that is agnostic and then layer in what the connection points are, but it, it feels like it was meant to, like, as written, it should be this way, and it just doesn't connect. Yeah, yeah. So. There was a there was a review by, uh, I want to say it was Cannibal Halfling. Yes, I think that's on the uh, right. Online that uh, 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 basically described Root as an OSR, or like trying to be an OSR game, but using Powered by the Apocalypse system instead. yeah. yeah. And therefore having a pretty big identity crisis. And I think that pretty much sums it up in a lot of ways. At the same time, they were saying that it probably went in that direction because there's a lot of people who want to play OSRs. And that's kind of this is kind of a gateway to PBA, PBAT, and, or TA. And I, I can see that, but I think this is a crappy way to connect those two. I just feel like those same two things are like polar opposites, you know? It's like it's like brownies and lemonade, man. You know, like ah, <laughs> uh, just I don't understand why you would mix those two elements. I and I, and I felt it in every page of this book. That's fair. That's fair. All right, we we let's get to closing thoughts so we can do this in a clean method versus us spamming back and forth between right. what we like okay. and what we don't like. Okay, fair enough. So, Sarah, 
what did you like about Root? What did it do well? Okay, well, I really did actually like the the thing that worked for me for Root actually was, believe it or not, the faction and the world, mm-hmm. uh, the faction system in the world. Um, I I liked that. I liked the idea that there are essentially three warring factions, two of two of which are outsiders and one of which is a coalition of freedom fighters. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that was just the right number. Like, I think if you involved any more or any less, less would be too shallow and more would be too complicated. Mm-hmm. I think that was the perfect amount of, uh, amount of influence to be tugging in different directions. Um, I liked the mechanics that went along with it and that the the map kind of shifts around. Mm-hmm. I like that they provide four different maps mm-hmm. with the uh, uh we got this off of drive through RPG and there's a PDF of them. Yeah. There's four different maps with different layouts, different paths between the clearings and whatnot. They all kind of have a different theme. One's in like a conifer forest, one's a, like a winterland, one's like a marshland and one's just a generic, you know, sort of uh deciduous forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like that, uh, the map evolves and changes around you at the end of each session that mm-hmm. things, things change and you're not always present for it. You're not the catalyst there. That to me says, you know, your character is not the center of the world. The world does not wait for your characters and that brings it to life for me. Okay. Um, okay. That, that was the thing that worked. Honestly, okay. I okay. love the setting. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that uh, for me, I liked some of the f- extra framing they did for Powered by the Apocalypse. They did a good job of showing how a scene should play out, how it should feel, mm-hmm. um, how it should flow. And I I think that is always helpful for any new storytellers. Um, it is, it's hard to find the right way to comfort a storyteller stepping into a new system because you have rules and you have uh framing that you have to give them and that they have to stick to but at the same time giving them scenario after scenario doesn't always seem to come out right mm-hmm. right so i think the lessons that this book shows it does it in a very clean uh, format where the game drips from it, which is not unlike the way Shadowrun does it. Um, you are steeped in how the mechanics connect to the feel of the game mm-hmm. um, in that sense. And it's every, like, there are framing boxes for everything. The art uh, flows really well in the book in that sense. Um, there's a lot of text. I'm going to flat out say there's a lot of text. There's a lot of text. And um, I, the whole time I was reading it, I was thinking about you and your dyslexia and how it, you deal with large bricks of yeah. text. Um, I'm, I'm going to get to that. Uh, but but for the most part, um, the way that it broke down how you should play this game and how to present that to both the players and the storyteller, I think, was done pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. Um, most powered by the apocalypse do that pretty well, but this... This felt really good. I liked that, and I felt that that was a a a good way to to bring everything around. So, all right. Well, what do we think it did not do well? That we let's let's not belabor the points. But if there's is there anything we haven't brought up yet that uh, uh, that we feel are is especially egregious here? 
I mean, for me, I feel like the game just suffers from identity crisis. I 100% agree with you. I, um, I can't... I just can't see the metal. I can't see the connectivity. It's not obvious. It, feel, um, it feels like what the game is trying to do fights against the system it's using to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And even where it's describing, like... The mechanics are not different between combat and not combat. Mm -hmm. Like, your words and your weapons are equal as far as the way mm -hmm. you're rolling um, and how you're rolling. We're not changing anything. There's no initiative. We don't, you know, you don't need to do those things. And yet it feels like it's intrinsic. Yeah. It's necessary. It's violent. Like, this game feels like it's meant to be violent. Mm -hmm. It has words like cleave in it. There's a whole section called weapon skills, right? I mean, there there is a whole there's a whole, there and and there is a a you know physical lethal injury track to it, you know, right? There's wear and tear on things like your weapons and your armor, right? You know, but, it definitely sets you up for those sort of things. Yeah, but I mean, it's <sighs> mouse guard has a feel, mm -hmm. a very honorific or honor bound, very um almost gentle, but it. It bleeds mouse sure. through everything, whether it's the nature of what you're doing, how you protect yourself, what is and isn't a mouse, and how far you drift from it, and I love that. It matters not what you fight, but what you fight for. Exactly. And in that, you you know it's mouse and guard. Those are the two words that clap together that make the entire game. Yep. That's exactly what it says on the tin. Root doesn't. And in it is lost mm -hmm. in that connection. And because of that, it 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 just the all the crunch then adds nothing more than what do you want me to do with this game? How should a story progress? Should it be violent? Should it be challenging? Should I have like should this be uh, Animal Farm, or should this be Watership Down, mm -hmm. or should this be Charlotte's Web, or should this be like it doesn't connect those things? Yeah. You know, the cats should be cunning, would even help a little bit in the framing. Mm -hmm. But it's not there. It's just not there. And and that's, I think, what it doesn't do well. And it, ugh, I wanted it to. I really, really wanted it to. Yeah. Um, I think everything else we kind of went over, but, like, ah, I'm disappointed. I can't say that I'm not. I am disappointed. I uh, I will list one more asset this game has, and that is it uh, put me in a position to conceive of a high-ranking Eerie Dynasties uh, official who is a seagull, mm -hmm. who would oh. be named Gull Ducat. Oh, Lord, that's right. <laughs> Rob, I had to suffer through that one now while you do, too. Okay, let's get to some questions. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Nekonata... We have a question for you. Nekonata, I have a question for you, actually, before we get to your question here. Uh, you are new to the Discord. Welcome. Thank you for joining welcome, us. Welcome, welcome. Um, but uh, I, I'm just wondering your, the, the entomology of your name, Nekonata. Is that a, a portmanteau of Neko, which is the Japanese word for cat, and Naginata, which is a Japanese spear-like uh, weapon? Is that a, a cat spear, a Nekonata? I, I hope it is. I, I hope it is. Please tell me I'm right. If not, uh, this is what we're going to live with anyways. It's my headcanon now anyway, so now you've got to deal with that. Yep. All right. The question is, 
uh, with all the sensory stimulation products being marketed to TTRPGs, which is true, uh, groups, what tea blends would you suggest to get your group in the proper mood for Root? So funny enough, while I was at Gen Con, uh, there was actually a booth there that was selling teas Mm -hmm. for gaming. And they had some neat stuff. Um, I did not linger because I was going to spend money if I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was neat to see some of the stuff that was in there. Um, honestly, I would have to give it some thought because of where I sit with Root. Um, if I had to take a... a, a, a like, if, if you were going to play Root, um, I would go something that brings you more into the setting that you're establishing. Um and this would probably be true for most games. Maybe not necessarily the mechanics, but lean toward the system. Or not the system, but the uh, the setting and feel that you're going for. If your story is going to be um, edgy and, um, and suspenseful, maybe go for something with a decent amount of caffeine in it and a, and a bit of a bite. Mm-hmm. Not as mellow, right? Um, if you're going for something that is meant to be uh, if your story and scenes that you're going to be doing is going to be your group uh, maybe working through problems in a small clearing um, that's that's struggling with infighting between even the factions. Like, they don't know if they want to accept what the cats have to offer, but it would mean a war mm-hmm. uh, that they're not prepared for in their little village. Um, or turning them down, even. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I, I could definitely see someone doing Seven Samurai in this setting. Sure. Without a doubt, with sure. using the cats as the oppressors, uh, and just having that be the story. Cats are jerks. Um, and in something like that, I might go with like a strong green tea, something really earthy, you know, so that when you breathe it in, you can smell all of the pieces. Uh, but when you taste it, it's simple, it's easy, mm-hmm. um, nothing sweet. I would, I would straight up say, <laughs> lie, use your tea to lie. It smells sweet. Maybe it has a floral essence to it, but there's not a damn bit of sugar in that tea. Because that's not what you are. In this game, you're a vagabond. There's nothing sweet about you. Well, that's a much deeper answer than I was going to give. So there you go. I was just going to say Paris. (coughs) Yeah, that's fair. It smells sweet. It ain't. It's my favorite tea. I'm not a a huge tea drinker, so when I find one I like, I glomp onto it and it becomes my answer to everything. Yep. Yep. There you go. Uh, so Nevum asks, uh, what board game, uh, what does the board game Root bring to the tabletop RPG, even if the tabletop RPG was created after the board game? Um, the the faction mechanics f- is essentially what the board game is. Mm-hmm. It mm-hmm. is the battle between the different factions, between yep. the Marquis de Cat and the uh, Erie Dynasties, the Woodland Alliance. Yes. Um, and then there are expansion packs that add new factions in. Yep. Um, so essentially the board game is all of the background simulation provided in the, uh, the GM section. Right. I, I almost wondered if you could maybe play a game and then every turn have a role-playing game, you know, aside from that and basically use the board game as its own background simulation. hundred percent. Um, 100% I would think. I mean, that would be a super try-hard way of playing Root. I don't know that I would necessarily be up for it, but uh... I've I've seen people stop in the middle of their D and D games because they have a giant battle and they end up using Warhammer Fantasy rules. Uh, like that's actually what got me into Warhammer Fantasy was oh, essentially you. trying to do that for my D and D game. I'm like, there's gonna be a mass battle. Oh, what can I use for mass battle rules? Warhammer. 
And all these years later and all these hundreds of dollars later. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so compared to other PBTA, uh, what changes were made to the rules? Um, so compared to other products, I can honestly say that the biggest... That there, there's quite a, a myriad of little ones. Yeah, I mean, every, um, every but Powered by the Apocalypse is a framework yeah. based on the Apocalypse world system, which is what was originally made. So just like Blades in the Dark has forged in the dark games mm-hmm. that use the Blades in the Dark um, rules set, but stripped away of any of its actual proprietary stuff, Powered by the Apocalypse is the exact same thing. It's Apocalypse World's rules that powers other games, hence yeah. Powered by the Apocalypse. Um, I would say if you had to focus on some on a specific role, I would say the way that they, they handle the trust fate move which is basically where i don't have the ability to do this thing but i'm going to try and do it anyway uh and where it pushes consequences like the luck mm-hmm. does that as well so it's gonna have a consequence um versus like dungeon world where you can base it on any trait and there's really no consequence to it yeah um yeah. so th- there's a, a variance there and i i think a lot of a lot of the powered by the apocalypse worlds handle the i don't know how to do this so I'm going to use this other ability. Uh, but the game has a lot built into it where you almost always have a roguish ability to be able to do what you want to do mm-hmm. in some fashion. Sure. So you shouldn't be using a generic role. Yeah. So. Uh, so as in Root, the characters are animal-like. If the group wants to use minis, what kind of minis can be used? And eventually, where do you find them? Uh, all right. So... As far as what minis can be used, really anything. Um, the game does not have set miniature rules or anything like that. Um, there is, in fact, not that I saw anyways. I mean, you, you went through the GM section pretty extensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's. Uh, am, I, am I wrong in stating that there are no rules to designate that there are any sort of, like, physical representation no. rules? Okay. I've seen nothing. I mean, the closest thing you get to it is the map. There, there might be an expansion that does this, but I don't know. We only looked at the core book. There are only three distances, intimate, near, and far. That's it. Yeah. So, realistically, there's no initiative. Positioning really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes down to what you're doing. So, it's, it's, it's too descriptive to require minis, and the moment you throw minis in, you actually add a level of complication yeah. to the system. Yeah. So, you don't need them. On the other hand... Much like Mouse Guard, art, minis, all of those things add to the flavor of who you are. So oh, sure. there's nothing wrong with doing that. I think you run the risk if with your storyteller saying, you know, foxes are the same height as as mice, who are the same height as seagulls, who are the same height as robins. Like, they're all the same size. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, finding minis that match up to that might be a little tricky. Or finding ones that aren't already in a themed setting sure sure um but there's plenty of stls out there yeah see uh and, and when we say stls what we're talking about is uh 3 3d files um for printing um and that's that would be my suggestion um i honestly i uh, i am the proud owner of a 3d printer um both a resin printer and an fdm printer um i have found it an invaluable addition to my gaming mm-hmm. um 
And I would say they're they're a lot more accessible now than they used to be. You can get them for under $200. Yeah, they're can... almost as cheap as a, a freaking color printer. Now, mind you, you still have to buy resin and, like, all the ancillaries of, like, something to wash them in. And resin is still pretty toxic, so you're going to want gloves and Do probably... it in an aired area. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there are some different complications other than just spend $200 on a 3D printer and all your all your dreams come true. But it isn't terribly inaccessible now. It's no. really becoming pretty common consumer technology. If you don't have a 3D printer, they're probably pretty easy to find someone who does have one. Well, not only that, but like a lot of maker spaces have popped up that have like whole wood shops and 3D printers. Yep. And for a yeah, certain dollar amount of being able to walk in the door, you can just use them. Sure. And there's there's also Shapeways and stuff like that. Yeah, you um, can order stuff. Uh, as well as like uh, Hero Forge, I believe, also has a bunch like i haven't been i haven't been like really into hero forge mm-hmm. in a while um because I, I found my mini factory and mm-hmm. that's been my go-to yep uh but uh for making custom miniatures and stuff that they have a lot of different anthropomorphic races that they've added into their character models nowadays so uh it's quite possible you could make a great number of your characters just in hero forge as adventurers kitted out with all the gear that they should have that could be great and then they can print them and ship them to you um like I said, I, I usually go on my mini factory. Uh, that is, it's it's a depository for 3D uh, artists to put their stuff up. Some for free, some for for uh, some for sale. Um, but the sale prices are pretty darn reasonable. Yeah, you can generally get a uh, you can do some damage for ten dollars. Yeah. Um, in there just to get the STL files, print them yourself. Uh. And as I say, ninety percent of that goes to the creator. So mm-hmm. you're supporting independent artists by doing that, which, which is, is one of the big wonderful. reasons I love doing that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, there is there is hundreds of minis potentially and, out there. And I'll flat out say it: if you don't know Bones, Bones has a lot of minis. Re- Reaper Bones, plastic Reaper Bones. minis. Yeah, I, I have a bunch of anthropomorphic ones that I've gotten in various Kickstarters of theirs. You you can find them. Oh, you that's, can find that's another great resource, yes. Yeah, it's a really great resource. Um, with animal-like characters, is the game suitable for a younger audience? Okay, so he, yes, but not because it has fuzzy animal characters. Correct. It, it deals with some serious themes in that there are multiple factions. Essentially, the Woodlands is at war. And you're playing these roguish archetypes, but nothing explicitly has to become, you know, more than PG in your game. Don't be fooled by the fuzzy Disney characters on the cover. I would say the 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 the, the overall tone of the game doesn't fit that, but it doesn't stray so far into the darkness that I I would that I would ever look at Root as a game and go. Oh God! I can't bring this around my my kids. So I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with Sarah. Okay. And I'm gonna disagree because I feel that the game is disingenuous to this cover. Podcast over. Uh, this will be the last episode. Yeah. Uh... Uh, so and uh, let me let me kind of frame this because it took me a little while to think about this, and really the length of the podcast helped me with it and going through everything. There are no rules in the game for compromise. For creating balance or peace or coming up with a peaceful thing. The tool sets you are given are roguish abilities to trick, persuade, 
lie, steal, kill, take out. You are given reputation for doing things for factions that may be gray or immoral. And yet, through these machinations, you are doing kind of possibly heroic things. But the point is, is your character is greedy and self-centered in need of money and equipment, and that's what their focus is. Because the moment that your focus shifts from that, and you join into something, one of the factions, even if it's the Rebellion, you are no longer playing the game. And children need hope. They need they need to be able to have compromise. They need to not they need to see the bullies and fight the bullies, not negotiate with them what they're willing to take or lose in a settlement and then go do something shady. So the cute edge of this game is fine, but the rules of this game kind of are teaching you something else. And that's that's where I have to say no. I and there was there I was absolutely no, understand where you're going. There was no quotations in the book of play where they're describing out there to play where anything felt like a child would read through that. Not a single point. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I... we can we can have a difference of opinion, and that's fine. No, no, no. no. I mean, I, I look. I, I, I want to say I understand your point. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it's functionally different from your average game of D and D, though. I agree. I agree with that statement, except for the fact there are factions, and those factions are very gray, if not dark. Okay. And your whole okay. point is either to be notorious with them, or be friendly with them. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah I mean, so, you, you made your point. Yeah. yeah. It's, so, it's, it's valid. Thank you. It's Thank valid. You. All right. Jay uh, Baker. Jay Baker. You were my DM. Welcome. For, Num- <laughs> for Numenar? Numenar. Yeah, 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 yeah. If you've been in our Discord, you've seen the conversation. <laughs> Um, so we got two questions. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Jay Baker asks, uh, what would you like to change about Gen Con to make it better in your opinion? What would you want to keep the same? Well, Sarah, what do you think? <laughs> well, let me tell you, I have a lot of opinions on Gen Con. Uh, <laughs> one major change I would make next year is I would be there. Okay. That's good. That's good. That's good. What would you keep the same? Uh, I, I the one thing I really enjoyed about Gen Con this year mm-hmm. was being home playing Baldur's Gate three <laughs> for like the entire weekend. You really oh did. my god! You, you, I am you really. I am a that. feral animal about that game. But anyways, Rob, what was your experience with Gen um, Con like? <laughs> what would I change at Gen Con to make it better? In my opinion, that's a hard one because I think anything that any change that comes through it has to be organic. Mm-hmm. Um. I really don't feel that there's a lot of pieces that I, I think it's just growing. Mm-hmm. I think it's it. I think it's moving through its late adolescence and into adult, adulthood in a strong way. Not to say that it doesn't know what it's doing, but it's kind of like in its twenties. Like it just graduated from college and it's seeing the world at large. Yeah, sure. Um, kind of a thing, and it's and because of that it's it's connecting with things and and growing. I mean, eighty thousand people were there a day. Yeah, it yeah. was it, and you felt it. You really, really felt it. Um, you said like what? The pre- previous year was like fifty thousand or something. The, pre- the previous five time years you ago, went it was, was fifty thousand, and it that grew and then fell. Sixty percent increase. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, uh, I guess for me, 
there's very little logistically that I would think. I think they're doing a fine job of adjusting themselves and mm-hmm. getting through the logistics. Um, there were definitely, <laughs> if I don't say this, I know a few of the people who went with me would be angry. Uh, if if anyone from Gen Con staff is listening, maybe you can get the Marriott to relabel their crap. Because you can't have walkovers to, quote-unquote, the Marriott when there are two different Marriott buildings that are not connected. One's the JW Marriott, and one's the Marriott. They both have conference rooms all over the place. They both have multiple floors. Their numbers are slightly different. But when it says it's at the Marriott, and you don't know which one, and they're like, oh, did you know that there's a JW or whatever Marriott? That's the one down there. And you're like, I got 10 minutes to get to this damn game. Thank mm-hmm. you so much for putting me in the wrong freaking place. And I can't just walk over there. I've got to go down, over, down, over, up, over. And there's like four walk tunnels. It's like the other, other, other walk tunnel that I needed. So that was a little bit confusing. Um, God, it reminds me of casinos in Vegas. Very much so. Yeah. Oh, God. So much so. So much so. Um so I I definitely feel like there's a a loss there. Mm-hmm. There is a loss there. Um, but I mean, I miss the mech pods. I hope they come back. Yeah, okay. Um, That's valid. I miss those guys. I don't know if it was an equipment thing or funding thing or whatever, but uh, they weren't able to make it. And I think that was a loss for the BattleTech group because it really pulled a lot of people to those those systems, mm-hmm. and then that brought people to BattleTech a little bit more. Um, and uh, I've already talked with the Battle Protect people about the Masters Dominions and what I would like happen there, but it was a minor thing. Um, if I had to talk about game systems that were being run by specific organizations, like Mont Cook, Monty Cook, for instance, um, he designed the adventure that I played, and it didn't feel like Numenera. Mm-hmm. It didn't feel right for Cipher. There was just something mixed there, and I feel like it needed to be reviewed. Yeah, yeah. Also, I needed to know that the things that I said about the game made a difference. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's less of a Gen Con thing and more of like a a, a, a feeling that needs to happen within the uh, within those systems. Is that yeah? I go to Gen Con. Yes, I play a game. Yes, I leave feedback to the storytellers. Does that matter? Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't want to be told, well, join the Discord. It's, you know, No, I don't want to be on there with 100,000 other people for <laughs> you to make a comment on a Tuesday that I never read because you never connected it to me. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I paid you money to play this game. Mm-hmm. Right? G- give me the regard of at least messaging me back saying, thank you for your survey. We incorporated some of your ideas. I pay here's, your salary. <laughs> you know, here's the newsletter, you know, follow-up from Gen Con or something. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and, you know... Our group has a groove, but I'd like to see more of my friends there. Yeah, sure. You know, running and things. I, I'd love to see you and Sean there. I think you guys would have a great time mm-hmm. um, and connect with people. So, so that's what I would say to, to, to change. What would I keep the same specifically this year? Community. Mm-hmm. Holy Lord, I liked seeing all of the people being comfortable. Now, I may be completely wrong. I am a white cis guy walking around looking at the scenery and people. Mm-hmm. I didn't see hate. I didn't see aggression in that direction. I saw a lot of acceptance. I saw 
better than acceptance, I saw what felt normal. Yeah, yeah. I saw couples holding hands and kissing and pointing at things and, and enjoying being a couple yeah. in a space with thou- tens of thousands of other people and nobody's like, you can't be here, you know? Yeah, well, when a uh, a, a great section of the population of Gen Con spends their free time uh, putting themselves in other people's shoes to tell stories about about their lives in different situations and such like that, it tends to build some empathy. And empathy is exactly how you fight hate and uh, and prejudice. Yeah, and I think that's I think it's great seeing a community come together like that and feel everybody feel comfortable in their own skin and having yeah. you know, like you said, so many so many like you you pointed out like not only the the the, the gamers uh, but the uh, there was another group that you were saying was yeah, um, LGBTQ that... alliance that was. Look, uh, actively looking for other people to play, yeah, exactly, and connect up with, and I think I think that's great. You know, mm-hmm. I think you know, ga- gaming years ago used to have a reputation as like the boys' club, you mm-hmm. know, Definitely. and even like women weren't necessarily welcome at the table, and now like freaking Ginny D is like one of the biggest celebrities, you know, dude, her lines were amazing. Yeah, Congrats to you, Ginny exactly. D, and all the things that you're doing. And I really feel like a lot of glass ceilings um, have been broken and are continuing to be broken with the gaming community. And it feels so good to see legitimately everyone coming together. Obviously you're still going to get some shit heels out there. Of course. Um, but you know, that's just people in general, mm-hmm. but, um, if Honestly, any... the, the gaming the gaming landscape is a much different social place than it was just ten years ago, yeah. even twenty years ago. Yeah, definitely. So I I would I would keep that, and I would, mm-hmm. I would keep John Con growing. I don't think that that's a negative. I think groups that can't handle the growth are going to fall off. Mm-hmm. But other people are are. I mean, the artists are great. We're seeing so many people being going from being independent to being pulled into larger groups so that they all flourish together. Um, and that's wonderful. We don't just have like Hasbro puking out a game system and us all going like, well, I guess this is what we have to eat today. You know, we have so many options, so many choices, so many board games and card games and collection games and stuff that like Disney was trying to fight for their like, you know, 50 square feet or mm-hmm. hundred square feet in, uh, in the sea of other games and just doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's no empires here. Right, right. There's no one saying that this system is better than the other systems and everyone has... Like, it's no longer D20 or nothing. Mm -hmm. Like, D6 is huge. No dice is huge. Yeah. Card games are epic. Like, Pokemon and and Magic the Gathering had a section, but to be perfectly honest, I saw two booths on the floor that were selling cards. Mm -hmm. Two. In, like... A half mile long dealer space. Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, those are huge, but like this wasn't their play space. Yep. All right. Uh, we should one last one question. last question. Uh, why did the developers land on the powered by the apocalypse system? Because Magpie is powered by the apocalypse. Magpie does powered by the apocalypse. That's what they do. Just That's what they do. Here they are powered by the apocalypse monsters, and if you give a license to them that's the game system you're going to get and honestly there's no better people to put that uh to, to put that game system right you know in their hands well we have our final topic or this month right no no we still have another topic this month so. oh yeah no no god it's only the yes. ninth 
<laughs> August isn't over. Don't make time fly that fast. Sorry, everyone. Sorry. 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 Uh, so next week's topic is uh, about the chosen one. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, like in story tropes, we have like, you know, the the child wizard or, mm-hmm. you know, the the Jedi or, you know, the character destined for great deeds. The gods have determined that you're the one. Mm-hmm. Um it's a big storytelling trope in, like, a lot of movies and books and such like that. Um, but it can be a little bit difficult in tabletop RPGs because you've got a group of PCs. Yeah. How do you shine the spotlight specifically yeah. on one? You know, how could you do Avatar The Last Airbender and have one person be the Avatar and the rest of them be, you know, the rest of the the, the, the Aang gang, you know? Yeah, and to be honest, Avatar, the show, did that pretty well. But we're going to kind of look at the pros and cons of having a chosen one and where that trope can really fit into a table game. Yeah, exactly. So. Anyways, you can find us on X or Twitter as it's an, uh, uh, at ST underscore Conclave, on Instagram at ST underscore Conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on MixLR.com uh, slash Storyteller dash Conclave. And uh, join us upon our Discord. Welcome to the new Discord members from Gen Con. We love having you around. Toss us some great questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll answer them up here on the air. Uh, as uh, well as, uh, you know, join the discussion with the other storytellers. Bounce campaign ideas off with them. Mm-hmm. Ask rules questions. Whatever you need. Uh, you can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help support us every month and always are looking for more so we can continue doing this. Uh, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Hulavu, and Sean. We really appreciate all your support. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music or on YouTube now. And our outro music is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find them at freemusicarchive.org. And a big shout out as always to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much, so much for loving and supporting us. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over these years to give these great stories to share with you and go to Gen Con with, apparently. <laughs> and you, every single one of our listeners. We love you guys so much. We love you guys. Good night. Good night.